Go tell Kano. Go tell Raiden. It's time for Insert Credit Gaiden. Welcome to Insert Credit Gaiden, a side story to the ongoing Insert Credit Show narrative. This week, we have more of Brandon Sheffield's reporting from Japan, answering questions asked by listeners like you on forums.insertcredit.com. You'll also hear Brandon review a selection of non-alcoholic convenience store beers, so crack open a cold one and enjoy the show. I'm in Akihabara again. Just arrived and broke a very unfortunate streak. I had never seen someone wear a MAGA hat in person before, despite living in America. I mean, of course, I live in California, so your chances of seeing them was a little lower, but even in airports, you know, I hadn't seen one, and then this dude, maybe 25, gets on the train wearing a MAGA hat, Japanese guy. And uh, you don't really know what that means, buddy. <laughs> Please do not wear that. Unfortunate. But I'm on my way to get some food right now, get some vegetarian food. And I've been taking some questions on the forums for uh, things that people may want to know about my trip or what it's like here now versus before, etc. So I figured I'd answer one right now, which is kind of relevant to this. I was asked, what is it like in Tokyo as a, Japan, as a vegetarian right now? Because everybody's heard horror stories about it just being bad or nobody... Nobody can eat anyone, anything. <laughs> Nobody can eat anyone. No one can eat anything. Nobody knows what it means. So it's definitely changed over time. I think there are people, there's certainly people who know what it means now. And I think the biggest thing that has changed is that it's more stable. Because it used to be you would come here, find out about a cool new vegetarian restaurant, but then the next time you came, it would be gone. It would last eight months to a year and then just disappear into the ether. And for a while, we were doing okay out here because there was the macrobiotic trend as a diet, which lent itself to vegetarianism and thus kept some restaurants open a little longer. But uh, that fad died down, and a lot of those went away. But there are several places that have now been here for like 15 plus years and show no signs of going anywhere. So I think that's a big difference for me is like you're not seeing as much fad-oriented restaurants popping up and you are seeing some more stability, which is good. In general, it's still hard and reading Japanese, speaking Japanese will help you a lot but some convenience stores, depending on which ones you go to, actually have all the ingredients listed in English on the back of the onigiri that you can buy or on the back of the snacks. It's not everywhere, but in kind of like foreigner-heavy areas, they've started to do some of that, which can be really helpful. You can also kind of like auto-translate with your phone ingredients on the backs of 
packages and things, it's still difficult to just say, buy a bag of chips. That's not gonna happen because there's a 90% chance that any snack you get is gonna have meat in it. But the ones that don't have meat don't tend to like add more ingredients later. So once you know which ones those are, things like the plain or seaweed rice balls or, you know, calorie mate, all these things remain vegetarian. Um, so it's tough, but it's not as tough as it used to be. Also, Happy Cow is a great app for finding vegetarian restaurants. And I think a lot of these vegetarian restaurants, in Tokyo especially, have realized that foreigners and tourists are a not insignificant portion of their clientele. And so if you can't speak the language, sometimes they've got an English menu for you, etc. So, outlook, generally positive. I'm gonna eat at this shojin place in Akihabara that I've been eating in for many years. This is one of those places that has stuck around. And I think I even mentioned it the last time I came here. So, have a nice day. And bye forever. Breaking news, it's me, Brandon Sheffield, with a special bulletin for you all. I have purchased eight entire non-alcoholic beers and highballs and etc. And I will try them so you don't have to. I will review each one in turn, numbering them one through eight, and then ranking them sort of somehow, I haven't really figured it out. But that's what I'm gonna do. I'm not drinking alcohol right now, and so you're gonna see what these things are like. The first one is the Kirin Zeroichi, which is the first one that I have tried this trip. I had it with some, uh, at a ramen place where there was no ramen that I could eat because it was all meaty with a couple of friends. And here's the verdict. It's nicer in the bottle than the can, just because a bottle is nice. And you're, when you first sip it, when, the, when it first t reaches the palate, it feels like it's going to be kind of like a light effervescent almost like a rice beer kind of thing. But then there's that malty, too sweet aftertaste that comes with a lot of non-alcoholic beers, especially American ones. But they have hidden it better than most in this beer. I would not rank it very high. I'm gonna rate it, what, what, I, I gotta think of a rating scale <laughs> really quickly here. Uh, I'm gonna rate it uh, 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 three out of five zeros. Yeah, there we go. Three out of five zeros is what Kirin Zeroichi gets. We'll be back with more updates about this breaking news in the near future. Goodbye forever.
breaking. I'm on beer number two. Though the beer itself says that it is number one. So we'll see how that goes. This is Asahi Dry Zero, non-alcoholic beer. It says, in English, it is a non-alcohol beverage, so you can enjoy it without worrying about the next day at work. <laughs> and that's what I'm after. Uh, they, they have a, also a little, uh, you know how in Japan they like to, um, uh, smash two English words together and just take the first part of each word. Um, like, like, aircon for air conditioning or whatever, or like how they say smaho instead of smartphone. <laughs> that one's a little silly. Um, well, they got one here just for Asahi Dry Zero, which is smadori. That equals smadodorinkingu. <laughs> It's smart drinking. Anyway, I should be reviewing this. I'm sorry. First of all, I want to mention that uh not really feeling anything after two of these. What am I, what am I, like a really tough guy? Is that what's going on? Am I really tough? So Asahi Dry Zero is, it's more bitter than the last one, which helps it, actually. The bitterness masks some of that maltiness, but... As the beer gets warmer, which when it is 93 degrees outside, that does occur relatively quickly, uh, the sweetness returns, and then it tastes less good again. But this is certainly a step up from the last beverage. I'm, I'm gonna tentatively give this, I'm gonna give it a 3.5. I'm almost feeling like giving it a four, zeros out of five, but I'm going to do 3.5 right now because I'm just not sure. I'm hoping there's going to be something better. I don't think anything will get above a four, but I could be wrong. Till then, bye forever. Next question comes from Reg, who incidentally also wrote the first question, and I forgot to say that, but... Reg says, often at the end of the show, in the recommendations section, you have some films or series to suggest. Where do you like to go to get your recommendations from? Is it mostly word of mouth from friends? It's a good question. I do get some friend word of mouth. And that's nice. Walking under a big, cool green bridge right now, by the way. Imagine that's happening. But most of the time, I actually get recommendations from myself. Most of what I do is I... I'm going to wait for this train to pass. All right. That cool green bridge was some train tracks, as you probably figured out. Anyway, mostly what I do is I go out to places, I buy a bunch of random stuff, and try it out, waste my time sometimes, and sift through a lot of nonsense to find stuff that's real cool. Of course, I love getting recommendations from 
people on Twitter about cool Hong Kong films I haven't seen or whatever kind of stuff in my micro-interests, but most of the time I really do sift through the garbage and find the gems in there. I mentioned in the past that I've treated my uh, house like a personal blockbuster where I just get a bunch of stuff, watch it, and if I don't like it, I return it to the ecosystem. And that's really how I find a lot of my recommendations, just consuming media 24 hours a day. That's, that's more, more than is humanly possible. But uh, consuming media all the time. When I'm working, I'm listening to records or things on YouTube. When I'm relaxing, I'm watching movies or playing games and taking notes on them so I don't forget what they are. And that's where all your lovely in, in uh, recommendations come from. That's the answer to that question. Let's see what else we got. Uh, Rear Naked Window asks, are any Japanese people out and about playing Vitas, PSPs, 3DSs, Switches, etc.? Or is it basically all phone gaming on the train? I have not seen a gaming system in a person's hands here in this country for many years. Now, of course, this is entirely subjective data based on just me walking around. So you gotta take it with all the salt grains that you can find. But these days on the train, I'm mostly people seeing, uh, seeing people reading manga, looking at TikTok. I do see a lot of people watching like Twitch streams of League or gacha games or whatever kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't see Switches. I don't see no Wonder Swans. No, no cool guys out here playing the Neo Geo Pocket. If there were, I would probably go up to them and say, what's up? I think I would have to. I would be obligated to do such a thing. Next question comes from David New who says, when was your first trip to Japan and what did you do? It's a big question, but it was 2003, I think, yeah, 2003. And I might have come during the Tokyo Game Show. I did a lot of shopping. I borrowed $200 from my dad <laughs> in order to buy more video games because I didn't have very much money. So I did that in advance. And then uh, this was back in the day when you would like exchange your money at a, some semi-shady exchange place and that was how you would get your cash. And I went with my college girlfriend and she wanted to go to Tokyo Disney Sea, and I was really rude about it because I didn't want to go because it, it wasted too much money. Meanwhile, I was like, I bought two FM Towns Martys to take home. And I was like, no, 50 bucks for Tokyo Disney Sea is too much. So maybe a, a little bit of a nicer person now than I used to be, uh, hopefully. But my first trip to Akihabara during that time, I bought a really weird digital camera 
that I quite liked, which was, uh, it kind of closed into a completely solid looking piece of metal. And then you would open it up and both the viewfinder and the lens would appear. So I didn't have a digital camera and I was like, I'm just gonna go get one at a used camera store in Akihabara. And I went upstairs in this dingy place and I bought like the cheapest one I could find. And uh, it didn't have a screen on it or anything. You just had to, just had to trust your dang gut is what you had to do. And um, I do kind of wish I still had it. It took really low resolution photos. It's hard to get them off there. I have no idea where it is now. I probably gave it to Goodwill. But it looked neat. It just looks like a tiny gold bar that you slid open to take terrible photos with. And I sure did. That's some of the stuff I did. I'm gonna stop now. Give you some more answers in a little bit. I'm starting to get to the point of my walk where I need to pay attention to where I'm going. So I'm gonna leave you with that. I'll talk to y'all later for some more questions. Breaking news, the third beer has been opened and consumed. This one was Kirin's Green Free, uh, Greens Free, I should say. A refreshing taste with the pleasant aroma of blended hops will brighten up your day, is what they say about it. So at first, I was, n I was not feeling this beer because it is the reverse of the Zeruichi, the first one I reviewed, because this one is malt forward, but then it actually has a better aftertaste that isn't all malty. So it's better, but I still don't love it. Um, but I have to amend what I said about Asahi Dry Zero. So the, the bitterness I talked about has kind of a burnt quality to it, which holds it back. Um, and, but the real thing was peanuts make it taste real weird. <laughs> Eating peanuts with it makes it taste worse. So that kind of reduces it back down to a 3-0 beer. So the, the Asahi Dry Zero has gone from a 0 uh, 3.5 out of 5 to now 3-0 out of 5. Um, it gets that taste like when a peanut hasn't been roasted enough, like it's too fresh. I don't know, it's weird. That one also had 0 calories, which I forgot to mention. I'm not sure how that works, but um, that's what they say. Back to Kirin's Greens Free. It did not make peanuts taste as weird. So now this one is the, the 3.50 out of five to beat. And Asahi Dry Zero goes back down to three. So for those of you keeping score at home, it's all very confusing. I'll be back once I've tried the next one. See ya. Breaking. The fourth beer has been consumed. This time it was Suntory All Free, which has kind of a nice gradient swath of paint on it, kind of like those uh, 
those old cups that I don't remember what they're called. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is also a zero calorie, zero alcohol beer, um, such as, as well as the Asahi Dry Zero was. It's my excellent speech construction. I'm sticking with it. It's uh, basically it's overall milder than all the other beers, but closest to Kirin Zeroichi, the first one I reviewed. It's less malty than that, but it also has just very little character. I don't mind it, but I'm forgetting what it tastes like as I drink it. So, also I'm going to stop using peanuts as a metric because they all seem to kind of make peanuts taste weird. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is with that. It's extremely strange. Um, but I'm kind of baffled by how characterless this is. So despite actually being less bad than the others, because it has nothing particularly objectionable since it's less malty and whatever, I'm still going to give it a 2.5 zeros out of 5 for not trying hard enough, because you would never order this on purpose because you wouldn't be able to remember it. So that has been Suntory All Free. Next up, a different one. Well, my friends, it is raining like heck. I don't know if you can hear it, but it's doing it. And uh, didn't have an umbrella, but one of the nice things about here is anytime it starts raining or some sort of thing happens, there's a shop nearby that sells umbrellas or whatever is the thing that you need. I was going to go to the 7-Eleven that used to be a Sanks on my way to Friends, the next store on my list of places I'm going here in Akihabara, but I happened by a computer store that was selling umbrellas for two bucks, so I just went ahead and got one. Anyway, our next question comes from Ninja President, which is, how has the used game market changed in Japan and how has it been since the pandemic and all that? Seems like an appropriate question to ask since I'm walking around Akihabara right now. And the answer is it has changed quite a fair bit, I would say. It has always been increasing and the market seems to be more kind of oriented toward Westerners buying games. Like, you see games that are super expensive in the US and then their price skyrockets over here as well. And that's kind of interesting, but then every once in a while you see something really expensive that is locally expensive. And that's kind of a different, a whole different thing. But the main thing you'll notice is that everything you've ever heard of is expensive. <laughs> If you've heard of it, it's probably pricey now. And in the last couple years, like since, since the pandemic, those prices have about doubled. Just five years ago or so, I bought Psychic Killer Taromaru for way more money than I should have spent. It's about 500. But now it's 1500. So, it's just, it's just nuts, and 
You go in the shops right now, as I just have been doing, and it's, you'll find it's about, in Akihabara anyway, about 80% Caucasian people, mostly Europeans, and not a lot of local clientele. So it really feels like things are changing more in the direction of jerks like you and me coming out here and buying everything up, driving up the prices. But I talked a long time ago about how it felt like Super Potato in particular was trying to buy up all the stock of all the closing places around here. Uh, I can't prove this, but this was the feeling that I had. And then after that, they were going to drive the prices up. And that sort of happened, except what actually wound up happening was all the prices went up because there was so much less merchandise to where Super Potato is actually kind of reasonable. Um, for those of you who don't know, Super Potato is like the, the place that everybody, every YouTuber talks about as like the coolest game store in Japan. And it's not, but there aren't that many cool game stores anymore. Friends is still cool, but Trader, where I used to go all the time, their prices have just gone wackadoo. And uh, they're just, basically you have to know exactly how much stuff already costs already on the internet if you want to try to get any kind of a deal. If you don't already know what stuff costs, you're going to be spending a lot of money. So it's a weird, it's a weird vibe. And it's changed more than I might like. But again, this, this is Akihabara, this is Tokyo. We're not talking about some shop way out in the boonies. Those might still exist, you know? Every once in a while, I find one and I'm like, oh wow, you're still here. Maybe three, four trips ago, I found a, a spot that was closing down and had all of these PlayStation 1 games I had never heard of. And I was like, oh wow, let me buy these. And the shop owner was basically like, those are all empty cases. I don't even know if we have the games. We have a big folder of games, but I don't know. I don't know where those are. And after a big long back and forth with that guy over uh, email across the next week or so, he found a bunch of them and I was going to try to buy them in a lot, but it wound up being mostly sports games and stuff and most of the games I was looking for weren't even there. So it's tough to, uh, it's tough to cut those big deals anymore and all of us are guilty of getting all the games out of this country to where... Ah, oh, man, you, you, you walk into a game store and the first thing if uh, a Japanese person will say is Natsukashi! Like, oh wow, so nostalgic to be in a, in a game store. Like, they're, they're not... It's a lot of dudes not hunt, hunting for, for bargains. They just, like, wandered into this place. But it's hard for me to make blanket statements, and I shouldn't be doing so because, again, this is all very targeted stuff. I am in specific neighborhoods, going to specific stores, but there are fewer of them, and this is where all the games basically are at this point, so... Hope that long-winded ramble answers your question. We'll get on to another one in just a little while.
Just giving a little addendum to my last point. It's raining a little bit less now. Uh, I said that Friends was still cool, but that was before I went inside, and it's, it's not particularly anymore. So, that stirs out. They're fine. It's just, I think one critical point that I missed here is the yen has been pretty weak. And when I came here last time, the yen had been weak for a few months. Maybe even just a few weeks at that point. Now, it has been weak and remained weak for about a year. And that means all of the prices have been adjusted in accordance with my earlier statement about it being largely for Caucasians, the retro game market. Uh, well, I say Caucasians, non-Japanese people, <laughs> what I mean. Um, currencies outside of the yen. So all the prices have adjusted up to account for that. So you not only need to know the prices of things online, you also need to know what the exchange rate is. And that's kind of where we're going right now. It's pricey, but I still bought some stuff. I got a couple things. Got some guidebooks, some game CDs. I've actually found a few friends' products here. In the meantime, which is kind of fun. Uh, I saw an ad for Atari 50 and Cowabunga collection in Trader. And at Friends, I found a read-only memory soundtrack. So that's kind of nice. But it is interesting. You see a lot more. All the new retro stuff is coming out of the West. And so some of these stores have sections for, like, new Mega Drive games. But they're all Western games. It's quite interesting at this point. All right. We'll answer another question in a bit. Talk to y'all later. Breaking news within the breaking news. I found a non-alcoholic beverage that I was not intending to purchase or put into this review lineup, but I happened to see it at a 7-Eleven while I was out with some pals and just went for it. Vincent Diamante was there. He had a some sort of a tea thing, but I got this Yoanai Lemon Sour non-alcoholic and uh, it's supposed to taste like a lemon sour, but it was, you know, 0% alcohol. Guess what it tasted like? Can you imagine? It tasted like a soda. That is what it was. It was a soda with a little bitterness. It basically tasted like those um, limoncetta. Um, is that what it's called? Those, those San Pellegrino limonada. That's the one. There we go. I got it. Okay. Tasted like a limonada. If you put it in a limonada can and gave it to me, I would be like, yep, that's what it tastes like. <laughs> so, one zero out of five for giving me a soda and calling it a non-alcoholic beverage, that's all you get. Sorry, buddies. That's it. I'll be back with another one soon enough.
breaking after being unceremoniously kicked out of Caesarea for being too awesome, your humble reporter of non-alcoholic beverages has returned to drinking. This time I had Suntory Karada o Omo all free. So this was a theoretically different version of all three, all free rather, zero calorie again. And it basically tastes indistinguishable to me from the regular all free. Maybe it was a little sweeter. I don't know. Once again, it's fine. 0 0.5, two zeros, two zeros and a 0.5, zero, zero, 0.5. This system I came up with is very confusing. We'll hear more questions and reviews from Brandon next time. Insert Credit Guy Dan is a production of Insert Credit and featured Brandon Sheffield as well as Alex Jaffe. Edited by me, Esper Quinn, with original music by Kurt Feldman. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.